God really used Hudson Taylor. I mean, it's obvious. We could, we've seen, we've heard these numbers. It's, it's impressive that 18,000 people came to Christ uh, through his impact in starting this uh, mission agency. Um, but let's, let's think about Hudson Taylor as a person for a second. What kinds of character qualities do you think were in Hudson Taylor's life? You can raise your hand and actually answer this question. It's not rhetorical. Yeah? Love for God. That's for sure. What other character qualities? Yeah? Love for people. Yeah? Humility. Mm-hmm. Perseverance. Yeah. It was not easy. <laughs> Diligence. Yeah. Teachability. Spencer? Courage. Yeah. Initiative, integrity, faithful. Yeah, these are all really good character qualities that that we can kind of imagine. Hudson probably had all of these. Um, What kind of everyday decisions do you think led up to those kinds of characteristics? He wasn't born with them. He walked away from his faith. Yeah? Yeah, he practices disciplines. He read his Bible. He's actually really famous for getting up at like 4.30 in the morning and reading his Bible by candlelight in China. (laughs) What kind of uh, everyday decisions do you think he had to make with his money? What about his work? His relationships? What do you guys think? Yeah, he had to sacrifice a lot. He had to uh, make decisions every day. And in fact, he was famous for, like, in, in preparing to go to China, he threw out his mattress and decided to sleep on the ground in, just in case he went to China and he had to sleep on the ground a lot. And we, can, we know, actually, a lot about Hudson Taylor's pre-China mission life and how he um, lived his life and how he built these characteristics in him and they were through decisions uh, that he made every day. But there are two stories that kind of illustrate how he made those decisions and, and what those decisions were. Um, one of those decisions it was with his money. Um, he lived in England, and they got paid in shillings. And um, he was walking home one night. He was studying to become a doctor so that he could be a doctor while in China. And uh, it was cold. He had his jacket on, and he had his last shilling in his pocket. And he was just praying, God, I... I need to uh, I need to get paid soon. Please remind my employer to pay me. Uh, I need to eat. I'm going to be hungry. Um, this last shilling, that's all I got to pay my bills. God, please, please provide for me. And as he's walking and praying, uh, a man some, like kind of beckons him and is like, help, you know, my wife needs help. Please come in and, and help her. Um, he must have somehow identified that he was a doctor. Maybe he's wearing a doctor coat. I don't know. Um, but Hudson comes in and, being a doctor, comes in, sees his wife, and goes, he just knows that there's not much I can do as a doctor, but I can pray. So he um, offered to pray for this woman, and as he's praying, God really impresses on his heart, you need to give them that shilling that you have in your pocket. And he was like, no, <laughs> I want to eat. I'm going to be really hungry <laughs> if I give them this last shilling. And God just 
kept insisting, you're going to have to give them the last shilling. And so after he was done praying, Hudson Taylor decided, here, take this shilling, you know, go buy yourself some food for your wife. And, and also, here, take my coat, you know, stay warm. It's, it's cold out. And the wife was like, you know, God bless you. And, and, and Hudson walked out of there just filled with God's joy, so excited that he did what was right in the sight of God. And, and the next day, he goes out and he checks his mail. And he opens an envelope, and it's filled with four times as much money as he gave to that woman. And on that day, he realized, man, if I can trust God with this, I know that he will provide for me in China. And that's, that, those are decisions that we have to make. <laughs> How we handle our money, that, it's the same thing. And a, another story, um, Hudson had a girlfriend, and he loved this girl very, very much, and was heavily considering marriage. And as they were talking about marriage, she knew that his heart was to go to China, and she eventually put her foot down and, and just said, why can't you help people here in England? Why can't you be a pastor here? What's wrong with being here? And kind of made it clear, I'm not following you to China. And Hudson had to make a choice. Do I want to take the comforts of home? Do I want to be a pastor here and have all these comforts and have this woman that I love? Or do I do what I know God is calling me to do? And he decided, we're going to have to break up. And it wasn't like a in the moment, like, you know, See ya, you know, (laughs) he really prayed and sought God and struggled with this and decided ultimately that following God was going to be the better outcome. And that's, again, I mean, we have to make these kinds of decisions with our relationships. Our talk is titled Small Things, Big Difference. And we hope that we're going to show you guys through our lives, our personal experience, and through the Bible that living a life of faithfulness will ultimately reap reward far beyond your understanding. But first we need to tell you what this talk isn't. (laughs) This talk is not legalism. We're not um, trying to create you into legalistic people or Pharisees. Uh, Legalism is defined as earning God's favor or earning your salvation through your actions by trying to just trying to earn favor with God. Your relationship with God is at a fixed state. If you have accepted Christ into your heart and you are following Jesus, then that cannot change. Uh, Your salvation was just fixed on the cross when Jesus died for you. Uh, This talk isn't about your salvation and it's not about tricking God into making your life better. It's about your character It's about your ministry. It's about your blessings in this life and the life to come. Being more faithful does not get you into a better heaven. Being more faithful makes you more blessed here on earth and in life to come. And that's generally, we'll get into, well, I'll talk about the next portion. This is not a prosperity gospel talk either. Just because you are more faithful does not mean that life is going to be easy breezy for you actually quite the opposite. Jesus promises that you will experience problems and suffering in this world. If you were at Chico Community Church this last Sunday, Gary made it pretty clear. Uh, We will experience problems. There will be suffering because we live in a broken world. 
More blessing is not the same as no suffering. The difference is when you are faithful, you will experience blessing through the suffering. John 15, 18 through 19, if you don't believe me, Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as, as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. So if you're thinking like, I am not experiencing this blessing that Katie and Jacob are talking about, um, well, one, you might want to check if you're being faithful, and then two, it might just be that you're going through a hard season because the world is broken. Just look for the blessing amidst the hard season. So jumping into the actual talk, there's going to be three main arenas in life that we want to discuss that you have to be careful to be faithful in. The first is practicing to feed yourself spiritually. So our definition, if you're thinking feed yourself spiritually, I don't understand what that means. Our definition of feeding yourself spiritually is the act of becoming more like Christ, maturing or growing up, through being faithful with your disciplines. When I say disciplines, think of like the big five article that you all should have read by, the, by now. Uh, things like reading your Bible, praying, the three habits of everyday evangelism. The heart of feeding yourself spiritually is that anywhere, at any time, you have access to God himself, therefore his power, his strength, uh, the patience that you need, whatever, to choose the right thing to do because you have a meaningful and real relationship with him that's not dependent on people, it's not dependent on things. You are made by God to be in a relationship with God. It's important to remember that your relationship with God is your relationship. It doesn't, I can't make you love God more. That's up to you. You need to cultivate that relationship. In 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, it says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? These verses explain a parallel between the physical world and spiritual truths. Um, when you are born physically, when you're a baby, you are 100% dependent on someone feeding you. You cannot go and prepare your own meal. I've never seen a baby cook a quesadilla. <clears throat> but uh, in the same way, when you are a new Christian, you need help. You need to be spoon-fed, essentially, spiritual things. You have to know, how do I read the Bible? How do I pray? Is cussing still okay? What else do I have to give up? These are all legitimate questions that, that new believers have because they have been born again. They are brand new. They need uh, to be spoon-fed spiritual things. But just like you were spoon-fed as a physical baby and you eventually learned how to handle tools in order to feed yourself, so are we supposed to do so spiritually. That's why this verse talks about uh, milk and meat. It's saying eventually you're supposed to stop being fed by somebody and you're supposed to make your own food. <laughs> this also talks about what it means to grow up spiritually. 
um, growing up spiritually requires that you cut out the worldliness in you. Spiritual things and worldly things are automatically 100% opposed to each other. And so when you grow up spiritually, that means the worldliness in you is lessening. So, uh, Katie, what does it look like to feed yourself spiritually every day? Okay, so um, the most important way that we begin and continue to feed ourselves spiritually is by connecting with God daily. Um, The goal of that across the board, if you are a Christ follower, is the same, but it can look different for you depending on who you are, your personality, or the season of life that you're in. Um, I'm going to give you a little peek into what my almost every day looks like. Um, I wake up, I turn off my alarm, I usually have to pray for strength to get out of bed, I go right to coffee, and then I sit down, and in that time, I have my Bible, my journal, my pen, that time is for me to connect with God. Right then and right there, my goal is to connect with him. That should be your first point, connect with God daily. Notice that I did not say read my Bible daily or review my scripture daily. Yes, I want to do those things every day, but my ultimate goal is to connect with God on a heart level. It is possible to read your Bible and not connect with God. It's possible to go to church and not connect with God. You could do entire Chico Project assignments and come here and do your um, small groups, and you could not connect with God, which is not the purpose of those things. Um, We're going to check out a short-ish video of Francis Chan kind of explaining this idea more. This morning, uh, I, I titled my message, The Most Important Lesson I Could Ever Teach. And I I want you to know that's not an exaggeration. Um, It's not something I just thought to get your attention. I I really believe this. And in some ways, I believe that this is is the most important lesson I ever learned. Um, In fact, if this were the only lesson I ever learned, it would be enough. It's it's the lesson that that, that in this passage you'll see Peter is saying himself. He goes, I'm going to die soon, but you got to get this. So in, in some ways, it's, it's, it's uh, the thing that he felt like, I've got to impart this before I die. Uh, and, and what this lesson is, is it's something I was taught when I was in high school. And I was taught the lesson of how to spend time alone in this book, studying this book for myself and having this time alone with God. Uh, you see, because once I figured out how to read this book, which it's really not hard, especially nowadays with all the helps and everything you got on the internet, once I figured that out and once I began to study and learn this for myself, I was okay. That's really all I, I, I needed because now I could open up this book and just know what God has to say to me and just do what it says. Uh, I wasn't going to spend the rest of my life dependent on other people to explain it to me. I could just do it by myself. In fact, I don't know how. I don't know how people, because I know a lot of you don't read the Bible for yourself. And personally, I don't know how you can pull off following God in our culture in our world uh, without this time alone with God. 
I mean, this is great. You learn from someone else and you, you can listen to other messages, but there's something so different when you study it for yourself, when you spend that time studying it for you. Be, because the truth is, is for me, it's the only time when I can't lie. I, I can lie to you. You, you know, I, I, I very easily can lie to you. I, I, I believe I have the ability to lie to anyone. Okay, I'm, I'm that good. Great quality to have in your pastor. Um, I, I can, it's, it's really not that hard to deceive someone. I can pretend that I'm humble. I know the way to say it and the looks on my face and just the, the right words to make you think that I'm humble or to think that I'm close to God or to, to think whatever you want to think about. I mean, we get pretty good at, at, at communication. Most of us are pretty good at communicating who we want other people to think we are. But then there's that time when you're alone with God, and there's no one to lie to, and, and there's one person who right now knows, even as I'm speaking right now, you don't know what goes on in my heart and what thoughts are going on and the intention of my words. Maybe I'm saying it to make myself sound better. Maybe I'm telling you this so you don't think that I'm really thinking, you know what I mean? There, there's all of that going on. You don't know. But then I'm alone with God's word. Then I'm alone and I'm studying the book for myself. And here's God telling me I've got to do something. And here's a God that I can't. He knows not only my words, but the intention, the heart. He knows when I'm trying to sound good, even in my prayers. And, and there's times when we're dumb enough to even try to sound good in our prayers. And try to make it sound like we really love him and want to be with him. When he knows our heart and he's seen us all week and, and saw how we long for all the other things in the world and he's just an afterthought. But we're dumb enough to say, oh God, I've just wanted you and thanks for this. You know, it's the one time when you, you, you have to be real. So we want to know God. We want to be real with God. But that can only happen if we connect with God and not just read our Bible or do our memory verses. There has to be an, an intention behind doing those things. So I want the Lord to deal with my heart like that verse talks about. You're worldly. You're not ready for the good stuff God has for you because you're stuck. And spending time with God is how you fix it. You get unstuck. Um, so we, we grow to this point. So wherever you are, you need to start there and, and spend time with God. It doesn't matter if you're like, I don't even know where to read in the Bible. Just pray, ask for help. Uh, if we do these things, if we go to church and um, read your Bible without connecting with God, we're really missing on the true prize that it is. Um, Hebrews 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm going to repeat that. Just let it sink in. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is who you're talking to. This is who you're spending time with. He knows you. He desires to help you. He died for you, which you all know. <laughs> but 
it's easy to forget when we have a lot to do and we need to read our Bible. The truth in these verses are really comforting to me, and they show me that God is a personal God. He's not asking me to spend time with him to earn being a good person, points or whatever. He really wants to relate to me and help me. So how are you relating to him? What does it look like in your heart, in your life? This is really where a heart of faithfulness and a life characterized by a love for God starts. Um, The Bible makes it clear that God already knows our hearts, so we really need to let him fix them. Um, There's a verse in uh, 1 Chronicles that um, God is speaking to Solomon, King Solomon, and he has this to say about faithfulness and unfaithfulness. He says, as for you, if you walk before me faithfully as David your father did and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will, he- I will establish your throne, your royal throne, as I covenanted with David your father when I said, you shall never have a successor to rule over Israel. Never fail to have a successor to rule over Israel. <laughs> Sorry. But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I have given you and go off and serve other gods and worship them, Then I will uproot Israel from my land, which I have given them, and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. Our hearts are going to connect with something every day. It could be your favorite movie, a book that you're reading, something your friend said. And just like Solomon, our our hearts can easily go off and serve other little g-gods, even if it's just you. (laughs) But the goal is to connect with God daily. If we aren't faithful in this, we will not be faithful in anything else, worthwhile or eternal. Luckily, a lot of you already know how to do this and are practicing and trying and striving to do this. Something that has been really helpful for me, like I said, when I sit down for my time with the Lord, is I just pray first, before I open my Bible, before I go into scripture memory, because I am very task-oriented, I can just boom, 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 okay, I'm done, bye God, and that's not my goal, so I just need to pray, and some days it looks like, God, I'm tired, (laughs) I really need help focusing, some days it looks like God, I'm ready. Like, what do you have for me? And some days it looks like, God, I don't even want to do this right now. I'm, I'm too busy or I'm frustrated. But that's the point is we connect with God. So telling him what I'm feeling and asking him how he sees the things that are in my life right now, um, that's how I want to start my time with God. And that has really helped me as I then go to read my Bible. And he points out things that I really needed to hear. And this doesn't happen every day. It's not a perfect science. You will have days and seasons where you struggle to connect with God. But he really will reward your faithfulness as you continue to choose to do the right thing. So that's the heart behind that. Um, The second thing that we do that we need to learn to do um, in order to feed ourselves spiritually is to hide God's word in your heart. Understand that the Bible... I wish I brought my Bible with me, but the Bible is the greatest gift God could physically give us. It's the only place that has absolute truth. You can go to mom or dad or your pastor or a movie or your favorite Chinese proverb and a fortune cookie. I don't care. But this is the only truth 
that God has given you. And it's absolutely true. It's active and alive. And it speaks to my life today, every day. That's amazing. I often forget that. I'm not saying that because I feel like you guys don't know it. I'm saying that because I often forget, like, God is speaking to me through this. In Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Think about that verse. I challenge you to do a quiet time on it sometime this week because what this verse is saying is that if you take God's word seriously, if you strive to know it, to obey it, your life is gonna produce a harvest that can't be taken away. That's a promise in the Bible that is there. So answer the question just between you and God right now. How would your life look differently if you actually believed what this verse says? Just think about it for a second. That's something you can keep thinking about. I challenge you to keep thinking about. Um, We really want to take God's word seriously because it really does have huge implications for our life. Um, But how do we get this book, the Bible, to be our delight, like that verse says? We can't do it on our own. I naturally want a donut. I do not naturally want to sit down and read the Bible. Um, so we have to ask God for help. That The desire to read the Bible and to understand it comes from him alone. The second thing is it really does require discipline. This verse isn't on your handout, but in First Timothy, Paul is writing a letter to Timothy and says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. When we hide God's word in our hearts, it's like bringing a toolkit with you everywhere you go. The Christmas before I moved to Chico, my dad gave me a full-size purple toolkit. At the time, I really did take it for granted, and I honestly was, like, pretty disappointed with it. Um, I was pretty ungrateful. Fast forward to now, almost two and a half years later, I am extremely thankful for that gift. Uh, The amount of things that it's fixed for me or helped me avoid future problems, I am so thankful that my dad thought, oh, this might be helpful. Um, And he put up with my bad attitude, too. Um, So if you learn to read the Bible and not take it for granted, all of a sudden you're able to fix problems and distractions that come up in your life. It's just like having a toolkit on hand. But you do have to learn how to use those tools. So that's why Paul's saying train yourself to be godly. It takes time and work, just like learning to use real tools. As a part of Chico Project, you guys already get to memorize at least one verse a week. So I really challenge you, take it seriously. Um, spend some extra time dwelling on those verses, letting them sink in. It sounds kind of weird just like <laughs> thinking about them for a long time. But that's really where God starts to bring out meaning of it and um, applying it to your life and your circumstances. Answer the questions, why is this a helpful verse to memorize? What is God's word saying through this verse? 
We're going to go into a short discussion time. Um, with your tables, discuss the questions on your sheet. Thank. You. I'm sorry if you didn't get to finish your discussion, um, but we're gonna we're gonna truck on through a little bit. Keep don't let these discussion questions like if you didn't finish them with your group, don't let them just like disappear forever out of your mind. Uh, bring them up with each other. You know, uh, talk more about this. These are really important um, things that we should keep bringing up to each other um, as a way to encourage one another. Um, so another arena of where we need to learn to be faithful is in the responsibilities that God has given you. That's the next point, being faithful in the responsibilities. Um, have you ever had the thought, when I get to blank, or when I'm done with blank, then I'm going to take this other thing more seriously? <laughs> wow, some people really have had that thought. They're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've had that thought a lot. Like, when I'm done with my GEs, then I will take school more seriously. When I don't have a crummy job at McDonald's, or Carl's Jr. in my case, then I'll take work more seriously. If I, you know, ever get out of school... <laughs> then I will take life more seriously. I don't know. Whatever your if-than-this statement was, um, there, that's a super common thought, and I've had it a ton. But the problem with that thought is it's not the biblical model of how God runs things. In, in God's world, the people who are responsible with little things get trusted with bigger things. Luke 16.10 says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. There's a really interesting aspect of faithfulness in this verse. Um, you could see, highlight or circle or underline the word can. If you are responsible with very little, you can also be responsible with much. You will prove yourself responsible to people around you, and to God. That doesn't mean that you will be perfect at whatever responsibility you're handed. But it means you can. You can do it. Now, underline will also. If you are dishonest with little things God gives you, this verse says you will also be dishonest with bigger things. There isn't a when this happens, I'll take it more seriously in God's world. A good example of someone who proved themselves faithful and did it the right way is Joseph from the Bible. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. <laughs> Does anybody have siblings? Okay, imagine your siblings like beat you up and throw you in a pit and then sell you into slavery. That's Joseph's actual life that he actually lived. And, you know, if that were me, I'm, I would be very tempted to be like, well... I'm a slave now because my brothers suck, and so I'm just going to, you know, beep boop around as a slave and do whatever. But he doesn't. He goes, okay, this is my life now. I'm going to make the most of it. And he is faithful, and he works hard. And eventually he's promoted in his master's house. He's basically like the top slave guy. He's like the manager of slaves. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Is he your manager? Um, he was that guy. And then... He gets framed by his master's wife and gets thrown in prison. Now, if that were me, at that point, I would definitely give up on faithfulness. 
I would say, this does not work. I tried, and look where it got me. Now I'm in prison. This is the pits. Um, But Joseph is not me. He's much better than me. And he decides, nope, you know what? I am going to be faithful in this arena too. And so uh, the Bible says that the warden, the person in charge of the prison, put Joseph in charge of all of those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. I don't know what the warden is supposed to do, but it sounds like he gave Joseph the warden job, (laughs) and then the warden went and played video games or something. I don't know what he did. Um, But he was so good and so faithful and so had so much integrity that he was promoted in prison. Eventually, Joseph proved himself so faithful that he was made the second most powerful person in the world at the time. He was second only to Pharaoh. In Psalm 105.9, it says, until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Your faithfulness is going to be tested. I, I know that because, one, this verse is pretty obvious, and then two, because mine was tested. I, you guys know about the Challenge Guys house? If you've heard of it, maybe, heard legends. Um, there used to be a Challenge Guys house that was exactly the same, but in a different location a long time ago, and I was in charge of that house. And the goal of the, the Challenge Guys house now and then was to create a space where ministry could happen, where we could host people, where we could uh, bring people over and, and, and uh create an atmosphere where people could connect with our ministry. And part of that responsibility was keeping the place clean, doing the dishes, vacuuming the floors, not having like 20 couches like we did, um, really trying to create an atmosphere where people could come and connect. And I will tell you, I was not faithful with that. I would leave piles and piles of dirty dishes and then wait until 11 o'clock at night and then try and do all of them and get too tired and go to bed and then have to try and do them in the morning before anyone else got up, which never worked because I stayed up too late doing the dishes in the first place. And uh, it just, it never worked. I was always too busy. Um, I couldn't get my work done. And then God pointed out Luke 16, 10 to me. And I don't hear from God very often, but it really felt like God was saying, if you can't do the dishes in this house, then why would I trust you with people's souls? That was really scary and hit me really hard. Sometimes I jokingly tell people that this verse haunts me at night, you know, but in reality, it really does let me look at my life and go, where am I not being responsible for what God has given me to do? Where do I need to be more faithful? We also want to make it clear that this isn't a matter. Faithfulness is not a matter about how you feel. Um, feeling has nothing to do with faithfulness. They actually, the act of faithfulness is doing things regardless of how you feel. We have another video that kind of shows what I mean. It's a little funny, um, but it's, it's really got a lot of really good points. So let's go ahead and watch this next video. There are no shortcuts. There are no hacks. If you want to take the easy road, I promise you it's longer and more painful than the hard road. I know. I've lived it. I've ventured down the easy road at times in my life, and it never led to anywhere good. The positive things in my life always came when I faced the biggest challenges. 
I joined the Navy. I took the hard road in the Navy and made it into the SEAL teams. There, I had the honor of leading men in combat. I learned some lessons along the way, lessons that have been tested on the battlefield and when implemented, lead to success in any arena. One of the best things I've learned is that anyone has what it takes to travel the hard road, to walk the path that leads to success. That includes you. It won't be easy. It will demand everything you've got to give, but you can do it. And I want to give you three key principles I've learned that will help you to get it done. Principle number one, discipline equals freedom. That's not a contradiction, it's an equation. Discipline might appear to be the opposite of freedom, but in fact, discipline is the path to freedom. Discipline is the driver of daily execution. Discipline defeats the infinite excuses that hold you back. Some people think motivation is what will compel them to get things done. But motivation is just an emotion, a feeling. And like all feelings, it's fickle. It comes and goes. You can't count on motivation to be there when you need to get through truly challenging times. But you can count on discipline. Discipline is something you dictate. Motivation won't make you exercise every day. Discipline will. Motivation won't stay up late and finish a project for you. Discipline will. Motivation isn't going to get you out of bed in the morning. Discipline will. Make discipline part of your daily life, and your daily life will get better. Principle number two, stay humble. In life, you are going to have to do things that you don't want to do. Maybe things that you don't think you should have to do. Things that offend your precious ego. When I got done with basic SEAL training and reported on board SEAL Team 1, you know what I was assigned to do? I was assigned to clean toilets. That's right, despite having just graduated some of the most difficult military training in the world, despite being assigned to an elite commando unit, my first mission at the actual SEAL Team was to clean toilets. Not exactly a glorious job. But you know what? I did it. I did it to the best of my ability and took pride in doing it well. And that attitude got noticed. If I cared that much about how clean the toilets were, people knew I would do a good job with even more important assignments. After a short period of time, I got those more important assignments. But it was humility that opened the door for me. Now, being humble does not mean you shouldn't be confident. You certainly have to believe that you are a capable person. But don't let confidence turn into arrogance. So keep your ego in check and stay humble. The third and final principle, take ownership of everything. I call this extreme ownership. In the military, the best leaders and the best troops were the ones that took ownership of everything in their world. Not just the things they were responsible for, but for every challenge and obstacle that impacted their mission. When something went wrong, they cast no blame. They made no excuses. They took ownership of the problem and fixed it. You can implement this attitude as well, not only in your job, but in your life. Let other people blame their parents, their boss, 
or the system. Let weaker people complain that the world isn't fair. You are the leader of your life. Take ownership of everything in it. So, be disciplined in all that you do. Don't subject yourself to the whims of motivation. Stay humble and be willing to do what needs to be done. And take extreme ownership of your life and everything in it. Then, choose the hard path. The path of responsibility, hard work, and sacrifice. The path of discipline, humility, and ownership that ultimately leads to freedom. If you follow these principles, then nothing in the world will stop you. I'm Jocko Willink, host of the Jocko Podcast and author of Extreme Ownership for Prager University. All right, yeah. I mean, that bit on taking extreme ownership and not making excuses, that was a huge deal uh, for me and in my life. Um, so, Katie, why don't you talk more about what this looks like in our everyday life? With great faithfulness comes great responsibility. I've been waiting all day to say that. <laughs> um, okay, so... <laughs> Something that's really helped me understand God's perspective on responsibility in my everyday life is a tool from Harold Bullock called the PAR Principle. PAR, P-A-R, stands for Privilege, Accountability, and Responsibility. It should be on your handout. We all have responsibilities in our life, and that amount of responsibility will either increase or decrease depending on our faithfulness. Privilege and accountability are two things that are directly correlated with responsibility. So as your responsibilities change, those things also change. An example is in the work world. If I have a job and I get promoted, I, all of a sudden, usually, have more responsibilities and more hours. However, this also means I have other privileges, like I get paid more. And the accountability that comes with that is I have a boss who's going to ask and check if I'm doing my job well, or I might have people under me that are really dependent on my job doing well if um, the projects are going to get done. So this is how responsibility works in the world. We often run into problems, however, when we long for or even expect the privileges Without being willing to carry the weight of the responsibility, this happens a lot in life, and I don't think that we always know that it's happening. But the only way that we can rightfully earn those things and those privileges if, is if um, we are faithful before God with the things he's given us now. So every day you make choices to either move up or down the rung of responsibility. It, it really can be just you at your house, and it doesn't affect very many people, and God will still keep you accountable. Um, not that he's waiting to see, oh, did they clean the bathroom with excellence? Okay. Oh, did they do the dishes with excellence? Okay. But he really wants you to be excellent in those things. If you're going to move up and down the rung, you might as well strive to be faithful in it, because otherwise you're going to lose responsibilities, and privileges will be taken away from you. That's how God has um, orchestrated it to be. And that's been really helpful for me just to sort of know that those three things run together. So if I find myself longing for a privilege that I don't get to have at this point, 
I might think about, oh, that looks like it also comes with a lot of things to do or a lot of people waiting on that. Um, Another thing, well, let me back up. If you find this idea or concept confusing, you can read in um, the Bible, the parable of the talents. It's in Matthew 25, and it explains a really good example of that. Another thing to remember is uh, in this realm that we need to meet God within the responsibility. He is in charge of everything that's on your plate, and he's given it to you. So please don't think that we're trying to say that these things should be easy or um, you're doing a terrible job if it's hard. A lot of times God puts things on our plate to stretch us and to grow us, and it is hard. But, um, and there have been times in my life where I've become easily overwhelmed or I've allowed laziness to sink in or I just become a whirlwind of busy. And if you're struggling to be faithful in an area, that's normal. I want you to know. You're not alone, but God is desiring to grow you. So try and step up to the plate or see what is God trying to teach you or rearrange some things in your schedule or say no to things. Figure out what's going on in that situation. But ultimately, remember that God is so kind and gracious that he not only wants us to grow by handling our responsibilities well, he's more than willing to help us carry those loads. He's waiting for us to say, okay, I need help. (laughs) I can't do this on my own. I'm stretched. I've met my human limit of being able to stay up late or finishing assignments or whatever it is. He doesn't just leave us to strive on our own. Um, So we can really choose to be faithful, but also ask him for help in order to be faithful. So let's workshop this a bit at your tables. Um, You have some questions. Write down the list of responsibilities that God has given you and write down who may keep you accountable in each of those areas. If you're not sure, God ultimately keeps you accountable for all areas, but try to think of some people that your responsibilities may affect. And then there are some other questions that you can answer at your table. Okay, everybody. Bring it back now, y'all. One hop this time. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's so hard to like, and keep. I keep looking at the clock like it's getting longer and longer, but I don't want to interrupt these conversations. I can hear some of you guys. It's really good. I'm really excited. Um, but we're going to move right along. Um, number three, another area that we need to be faithful is in our thought life. What I mean by our thought life, that's kind of a weird thing to say. What I mean by that is what is going on inside your head moment by moment? This is likely the most underrated and most overlooked little thing that we have. Have any of you heard the phrase, character is who you are when no one is watching? Yeah, some of you are nodding your head. Only one of you is raising your hand. Thank you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've heard that a lot. Now, if you think about it, you are never, like, your, your thoughts are never watched. That is, your true character can really be expressed in uh, what's going on inside your head. The only people that know the things that you're dwelling on, the things that you think about or look at or listen to or let roll around in your mind is you and Jesus. In Psalm 42, 421, 
it says, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. You can fool everybody in this room, but like Francis Chan was saying, you cannot fool God. And it's your responsibility to honor God, not only in your actions, but also in your thoughts. Some of you, as I'm saying this, some of you might already like feeling kind of worried because you feel like, I can't really control what's going on up here. It's like going all over the place all the time. I'm constantly thinking about 10 billion things and it's all just passing right through. Um, and, I, and to a certain extent, I get that. There are thoughts that I have that I'm like, where did that even come from? I don't think like that. I call them, uh, you know, intrusive thoughts. You may not be able to control intrusive thoughts, but you can control what stays in your head and in your heart. Uh, you can think of your thoughts, your thought life, like birds that are flying over your head, like just zipping about. They're way up there. There's no way that you could like stop them from flying, but they don't have to build a nest in your hair. You can let them pass on by. The thoughts that you allow to build a nest eventually will get into your heart and become who you are. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. If cuss words are okay in your brain, you know, I'm only going to say them in my head when someone cuts me off. Then eventually they're going to get in your heart and then eventually they're going to come out of your mouth, probably in front of your grandma or something. Something really embarrassing. Some of you are like, my grandma cusses worse than me. I don't want to talk about it. My grandma does. Uh, if you think that sarcasm or lust or bitterness or just rude and mean thoughts toward people, if you think those are okay as long as they stay in my head, eventually they're going to come out. 1 Corinthians 10.5 tells us that we need to take every thought captive and make it a slave for Christ. All of us need to take ownership of our thoughts and command them to submit to Christ. This was a huge breakthrough for me personally. I had never really thought about my thought life before. Um, When I was at a project just like this one in 2014, a man named Mike Story came and he shared about how important it was to be attacking lust in your mind, in your thought life. Up until that point, I had been struggling with pornography for many, many years. I had figured that I could get myself to stop watching it by allowing lustful thoughts just to roll around up here. Like like that would fulfill me. I don't know why. That's a dumb thought now that I say it out loud. But for some reason, that's what I thought. Like if, if this will fulfill me enough that I won't allow any actions to come from it. And surprise, surprise, it never worked. I would always fall. I would always slip up. I'd have to tell somebody that I screwed up again. and It just, it hurt over and over and over again. And then Mike's story was like, hey, he didn't tell it to me. He told it to a group like this. He was like, hey, how about you check your thought life? How about you just stop thinking about it? Take ownership. I was like, okay, I guess I'll give it a try. I haven't, it hasn't worked yet, so I'll go for it. And let me tell you, the battle got so much easier when I was attacking the source of the problem than when I was trying to cover up the behaviors. 
I'm not saying that I like kicked my, you know, kicked my addictions overnight. But what I am saying is it's just a lot easier to attack the source of the problem. When I focused my mind not on earthly things, but on godly things, it turns out non-godly things were less interesting to me. And I used the same principle to help me cut out sarcasm and cussing, and uh, I use it still to help me squish out pride um, or just even like mean thoughts toward people. Whenever sin you're struggling with right now in your personal life, you might want to think, is there a thought that I allow to roll up in my head? Is there a thought that I keep coming back to that's maybe contributing to this sin? And it doesn't have to be something as obvious as lust. It probably is something like pride or bitterness. Or maybe there's a relationship that's unclear between you and somebody and you just keep bringing up this one thought against them. I can't believe this person said that to me. I'm gonna just keep being mean to them in my head. And then, you know, when the pressure of life is on and they're near you, suddenly you're really snippy. So what does this look like in our everyday life? How does, you know, looking at our thought life look like? I have a few thoughts on thought life. Ha, ha, ha. <clears throat> One, we want to regularly practice repentance and accepting grace. Some of you may have heard about this concept called spiritual breathing. The idea is when you... And and like in regular breathing, you have to breathe in, and then you breathe out, you know. And so in spiritual breathing, what you do is you exhale your sins. You confess your sins to God. You come before God, right? Not like, you know, once a morning, you, you know, you've read your Bible, and now it's time to pray, and I think about every sin that I must have done yesterday, and probably some that I did this morning, and then I pray those things, and then okay, now I'm good for today and I'm going to move forward and then tomorrow I better remember all these sins that I'm doing so that I can pray again. That's not how it works. You want to, as you mess up, as you sin, as you, you know, get snippy with someone or, you know, allow a thought to linger in your mind for too long, immediately kill the thought and come to God humbly and be like, God, I am sorry. I let that just sit in my brain for too long. Please forgive me. And then breathe in God's grace. Remind yourself, or, or even in that prayer, be like, thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you that I am forgiven now, and I can move forward knowing that my slate is clean. And we can know that not because Jacob said so, but because the Bible says so. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He will forgive you. Just ask. Number two, we want to memorize and meditate on verses. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I've heard this verse like a bazillion times. Um... But it wasn't until somebody really explained the idea behind this verse that it really made sense to me. Uh, 
imagine God's word and your mind kind of like a beach. So God's word is like the ocean and your mind is like the beach. And your beach is, you know, I don't know, maybe not like a pristine jungle beach. Just go to Galveston. It's that beach. Yeah, Galveston. Sure. I don't know where that is. It's probably Texas. I don't know. (laughs) But your beach in your mind has all of this trash and gunk and nastiness all along the sand. And God's word is like the waves. And what you want to do is you want God's word to wash up over your mind onto your beach and pull the gunk out into the ocean, which is not a good, you know, analogy if you really love the ocean and are like, oh no, the manatees in God's ocean. Okay, this is an imaginary ocean, (laughs) right? God can handle, he's got a big ocean. Uh, So what you want is for that trash to get pulled in by God's word. Over time, you want it to, to wash over your mind and transform it slowly. It's not like a, an instant thing. It's, it's, a, it's an overtime uh, uh, washing of your mind. Um, other ideas include fasting. Um, sometimes you just need a reset. <laughs> you just need to, to you're, you're stuck, you know, you're stuck in a rut. And you just need God to like push the reset button on you and, and fix you. <laughs> um, and fasting is a good way to do that. There, there's a couple ways that I like to do this. Uh, one is fasting where I give up eating for a day. I, I skip my breakfast, my lunch, and my dinner. Um, and instead of eating, I pray or read the Bible or both. And in those moments, I'll, I'll tell God, God, you know, I'm doing this right now because I am reminding myself that I am 100% dependent on you. More than food, I am dependent on you. Please help me as I'm like struggling with this rut that I'm in. That usually helps, honestly. Another kind of fasting that I'll do, and I do this one a lot more often, is a media fast. So what I'll do is I'll pick a day and I'll just say, okay, all of Wednesday, I will not go on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, I don't know, TikTok. I don't, <laughs> I don't ever go on that anyway, but I won't watch YouTube. I won't even just browse Wikipedia articles. Instead, I'm going to shut off all my electronics. I'll keep, I won't actually shut it off because I'm, I, my phone is really necessary for work, but um, I won't go on it for social media purposes. The only thing that I use it for is to go over my verses or read my Bible. And I take that free time that I would usually take. Usually it's like in little tiny five minute increments. You know, that's when you're most likely to just like, I'm waiting in line. I'll scroll through Instagram. Instead, I'll pray or go over my verses or memorize a new verse or listen to a sermon or read a a Christian book. Sometimes, honestly, I don't even read a Christian book. Sometimes I'll just read a regular book, and it's better for me. So I really encourage you, even this week, pick a day, just one day, and try it one time. Say to yourself, I will not go on social media at all. I won't even, I'll turn off notifications on my phone so that it's not constantly bugging me. And instead, I'm going to use that time to connect with God. 
and see what happens. See how you feel after that. I, have, I don't think I've ever done a media fast and afterwards regretted it. Every time, I always feel more refreshed and more renewed, which seems counterproductive, but it's true. Another uh, thing, um, uh, well, actually, another area that we're going to talk about, another arena, really what we're going to talk about is some pitfalls, some areas in which you will be tempted not to be faithful um, or you just, something will block you from being faithful. Um, for the first one is, include, is uh, laziness. Ultimately, it's easier not to do something than it is to do something. We all know this. <laughs> the fact that you're even here right now is impressive. <laughs> if you've ever read through Proverbs, um, it has a lot to say about the lifestyle of someone who continuously chooses not to do things. The Proverbs actually calls that person a sluggard. In Proverbs 10.4, it says, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. In Proverbs 10.26 says, Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Did you guys hear that? Have you ever gotten, have you guys been in a campfire and gotten smoke in your eyes? It hurts. I cry every time. <laughs> Seriously, it like makes you cry. It hurts a lot to get smoke in your eyes. And that's what the Bible is saying. If I send somebody, if, I'm, if they're like, man, I need help. And I'm like, okay, take, you know, Billy Bob. And Billy Bob is just this lazy do-nothing. That, like, that hurts like smoke to the eyes or vinegar on your teeth. To be a faithful person, it's going to take work. And like that video was talking about, it has nothing to do with how you feel. It's not about motivation. It takes discipline to connect with God daily. It takes discipline to fulfill your responsibilities. It takes discipline to control your thought life. That one, I think, takes the most discipline because you know it's just a moment-by-moment moment thing. But you can do it. A side note about this is, man, if your free time is automatically going to Twitter or Snapchat or checking baseball scores or, you know, whatever. If that is your first instinct every time you have a little bit of free time, you will not be faithful in the long run. You can be faithful now and do all those things. And it's okay to relax. It's more than okay. It's good. But if your first instinct, your primary instinct is I've got a couple minutes, I'm going to scroll through Instagram. Then over time, you will not become faithful. So pick, pick some goals. Do something to counteract that. Decide for yourself, I'm going to read another book other than Radical this summer. I'm going to memorize another verse per week. I'm going to, you know, I don't know. Listen to a sermon, extra sermon every week. I'm going to do something. Pick something that you can work toward and, and accomplish by the end of the week. Do it in little steps. Don't, don't I don't know, don't fret <laughs> over uh, these big, giant steps. Just pick something and do it. Another reason uh, that you might fall short of faithfulness is just pride. Any day that you're not connecting with God, if you like 
put your head down and, and run throughout your day and just, okay, I go to this thing and then this thing and then that thing. Any day that you've, you've done that, you've actually chosen not to connect with God. And any day that you choose not to connect with God, you've actually told God, I don't need you today. I got this. That's a really scary and arrogant thought. <laughs> Please do not tell God, <laughs> I don't need you today. Because he will show you, oh, don't you? Okay, you got this. And it's not fun. <laughs> you are not so much a victim of your circumstance that you can't spend time connecting with God. And you are not, don't get so prideful that you think, I am too good to read my Bible or even, even I'm too good to listen to a talk about reading my Bible. Be careful with those thoughts. Not because, uh, I just want you to be careful because I know that God loves you, but he's not afraid to show you when you're wrong and it doesn't feel good. Another pitfall that you could fall into is entitlement. You might start thinking that you should, you deserve things and, and want to kind of ignore the responsibility that comes with it. You will feel the pull of desiring the privilege while neglecting the responsibility constantly. This will happen as you get promoted in life and in, and in Christian leadership. This will happen as you gain influence in people groups. Luke 16, 15 says, and he said to them, you are those, this is Jesus talking, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart for what is justified among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Don't take the road of exaltation. Be responsible. Allow, uh, allow yourself to be humble. Really come before God and thank him for the things that he's given you and decide in your heart to be responsible with them. Knowing that God is the one who gave them to you in the first place. Those are the pitfalls. Yeah, and I just want to add about the pitfalls. We don't say those things as authority in your life. <laughs> we say these things as people who have done them and have struggled with them and are beside you struggling with them. So if it is something, and it, it will be, uh, at some point you will be tested in those areas, and we get it. Like, we're here for you. Part of why he's taking it so seriously is because We've experienced the wrong side of being prideful and the wrong side of being entitled um, or lazy, and it's not fun. So, anyways, I just wanted to clarify that we understand it's really hard, but also warn you. So, I'm going to wrap up our talk. Um, this whole talk, because it's a practical training might sound like, oh man, I have a lot to do. <laughs> and it can be tempting to feel like if you mess up, then God's gonna be mad or frustrated or tick you one down in the like awesome people book or whatever. That is not true. Um, that actually, those kinds of thoughts are from the enemy. If you're tempted to, to be fearful if you don't do something or um, guilty, or shameful, those things are from the enemy, and he really wants to put them in your heart so that you will um, 
not connect with God, that you won't be able to start that flywheel of learning how to be faithful. So be careful if you do feel that way. Um, Just rebuke the enemy and pray and ask God for help. Because the truth is that he really loves you and everybody, and he really wants to bless you and help you. He knows your heart. He knows exactly where you're at and exactly where you're going to be at the end of the summer, the end of the year. Um, he knows where he wants you to be, and he, he has a plan to get you there if you're willing. Um, he knows that you might be at a place right now where you're just like, the best I can do is I want to want to read my Bible. I want to want to pray. I want to want to come to Chico Project things or whatever. And that's fine. Like, that is where you are at. And the awesome thing about God is he will meet you there. That's how it works. Um, Our point here is that if you want to do big things in God's kingdom, and if you want to be used by God, if you want to see people in heaven because of your life impacting them, ultimately God through you, then the biggest obstacle that you're going to have to face is yourself. That sounds really TED Talky and kind of like slapsticky, but it is true. Um, we have the power to break down our own sin with God's help. We have the power to come to Him every day and say, "Okay, God, I don't know what I'm doing." We have the power to repent and ask for forgiveness and abide in the grace that He gives us. And God promises that you. Uh, to be with you uh, to the very end of the age if we are faithful and obey him. He really wants that for you. And we really want to encourage you guys. Um, We want you guys to be like those trees planted by the stream of water. That's why this is our job. (laughs) Um, God really cares about your hearts. And from your heart, he really cares about creating a pattern of faithfulness. But it's going to start there. So that's why talking about so many things have to do with your heart and things that you can do, hopefully, that will help you get started.